wedding scriptures over here. I'm like, I don't think we want that. No, it's supposed to be the church. Like the shortest one ever. Yes, yep, and it's just the one. Yeah, yeah. And I can read that, yeeah. Perfect.
Good morning. It's wonderful to see all of you here this morning with us, and we'd like to wish a good morning to all of you online as well. For the past two Sundays, I have streamed the service at home online and have realized once again what a blessing it is to be able to be here in person or to be at home and to still be together. We're continuing our summer series this morning with wonderful guest pastors, and today is a special day. Lindsay Small is here with us. She and her family live in South Carolina, where Lindsay is the chaplain at Furman University. And they are here spending the summer on the Michigan Lakeshore. Lindsay is especially precious to us, as she is the daughter of Pastor Steve and his wife Janet. Lindsay, we've been so blessed to have your parents here with us at Mayflower, and we're thankful to get to know you and grow with you as you share the message this morning. Please take a moment to sign the friendship register at the end of your aisle or push the button online to let us know you're here. Prayer cards will be collected during this second hymn, and Pastor Steve will be available up front for individual prayer. And now I'd like to invite Julia to share a moment for music. I'm so glad to be back with you after two Sundays away. I'm sure that you uh, enjoyed having Jonathan Took back and connecting with him and listening to him play. I was in Seattle representing you at the National Convention of the American Guild of Organists, and then after that spent a few days with my daughter in Salt Lake City, and I'm very happy to be back with you here in Grand Rapids. Today's music, um, as usual, is connects with uh, the message and the scriptures of this morning. Uh, Scott's offertory, uh, is the, I will not leave you comfortless, that whole, uh, that all of that is uh, text, the uh, Jesus's own words. And we picked it uh, specifically for the phrase, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Um, and that connects directly with the John 20 text. Please join in this responsive call to worship. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest.
on this day that you have made. Fill us with the joy of worship and the wonder of your love. Open wide our souls so that your spirit may have free and open access to all that we are. Come, mighty one. We seek your face today. Amen. This summer, for our children's moment, we have been doing Did You Know? And we have been featuring different pieces and um, symbols throughout our sanctuary to learn about how um, specifically this building was created and built. And so for today, we are going to talk about the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was such an important part within the entire story, and it ties back with Jesus so perfectly. And we have something from the temple in Jerusalem here in the sanctuary. It's this tapestry that, sta- that is behind our cross. This tapestry was put here as a reminder of the curtain that was in the temple. The temple was four and a half football fields long, And it was huge, and it sat upon this hill. And within the middle of the temple was what they called the Holy of Holies, where one priest would go in once a year to um, burn incense. And it was shrouded by a curtain that is supposed to have been 30 feet high. And they are not sure about the thickness, but at least... 4 to 12 centimeters thick, and it was um, thickly woven. And if you remember, the temple, Jesus was there, but he actually never went behind the curtain because he was never seen at that time as the Holy of the Holies for the priests. He was dedicated at the temple. At The temple is where he saw the widow give her might. But when Jesus was crucified on the hill of Calgary, when you look at maps, The temple is all on this upper hill, and Calgary is right below it. And so he, when he, they say when he turned to look at the um, the other two on the cross, he turned towards the temple. And then, as you know, when he said it is finished, when he was crucified, the curtain tore all the way down, and it tore from the top down, so that it could not have been a person. That tore it because a person would have torn it from the bottom up, and it was physically impossible to tear because of how thick it was and how woven tight. So when the builders of this building purposely put that tapestry there, they put the cross on top, 
And so to symbolize that we now, because of Christ's death on the cross and resurrection, we can come directly to him, that we don't have to go through the high priest. So when you come in, you can take a closer look and see the pattern and um, the beauty of that piece of our chapel. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are thankful for history. We are thankful for symbolism. And we are thankful for connection and how you love us so much that you continue to teach us and grow us and bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
The reading for today can be found on page 769 of the Pew Bible. It's in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. I'll be reading from the New International Version, and it's when Jesus appears to his disciples. Beginning at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he said, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And, he, and with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then they are not forgiven. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. It is good to be here this morning. Thank you so much for the invitation. I have to say that over this past year, the thought of moving from West Michigan to South Carolina was soothed by the fact that my parents had a warm, embracing congregation to call home. So thank you so much. I'm also not supposed to mention, but I'm going to anyway, that it is somebody's very special birthday tomorrow. Um, I'll let I'll let him tell you what the big number is. So, <laughs> rhymes with Grady. Anyway, <laughs> as I mentioned, uh, we lived in Holland prior to uh, moving to South Carolina, which was a move that could be <laughs> called crazy or a movement of the spirit or both. But we went there because uh, my husband was called to be director of leadership and organizations at Anderson University in Anderson, South Carolina. And uh, as Rachel mentioned, soon after we moved, I found a position as a chaplain at Furman University. God has been so good to us. We love the weather of the South. We love the food. We love the warmth and diversity of Southern hospitality. We love working in the word y'all into our conversations, and when we're really feeling, uh, really feeling in it, we, we go for all y'all, which is just... <clears throat> Not to say that everything has gone well or been smooth sailing. There is a steep learning curve when it comes to moving to the South. Greenville is a different culture in many ways. Children are expected to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. <laughs> right, Lulu? Hellman's mayonnaise is a naughty word. It is Duke's mayonnaise, or none at all. And perhaps the most surprising cultural phenomenon of all, church basketball leagues reign supreme. We had no idea when we signed our daughter Maggie up for the fourth and fifth grade team at First Baptist Greenville what we were getting ourselves into. She had played one season of Holland rec ball in a division that should have been called the refs will tell you which direction to run. 
The team named themselves the Stallions, although I spent most of the season thinking they were the Scallions. Maggie played power forward, but at around 40 pounds, she was just forward or sometimes a little backwards. Oh, she's very offended right now. <laughs> Let's just say that her strongest defensive move was singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star in the face of her opponent. It worked, actually, by the way. Now, the Scallions, I mean the Stallions, were backed by an amazing fan club, cheered on every Saturday morning by the most devoted, if not fervent, parents I have ever experienced. One Saturday, I entered the foyer before going into the game, only to see a mom pacing up and down the hall. When I asked her what she was up to, she said, I just can't take the pressure. A few moments later, her husband called timeout. He wasn't a coach. <laughs> now, it turns out that the Stallions were a pretty good team, right? Right, Maggie? So good that they made it all the way to the championship game. I'm sure you saw this on ESPN. <laughs> Against the downtown Presbyterians. Boo. A team that had beat them 17-1 to during the regular season. Now, there was much fear and trepidation before the game. The Presbyterians were taller, faster, and according to Maggie, meaner, which is not really my experience with Presbyterians. Many on our team, including our daughter, went into the game believing that they would lose while the Presbyterians believed they were predestined to win. Predestination jokes are tricky. <laughs> the game was a real nail-biter. They were tied 6-6 six to six as they went into triple overtime. I'm just going to say that again. They were tied 6-6 six to six in a basketball game going into the third overtime. With 15 seconds left in the, game, in the game, a sweet player on our team who had been afraid of the ball and what to do with it most of the season threw in the winning shot. The Stallions won 8-6 to six in probably the longest game in history to end with the score of 8-6. to six. The elation in that gym rivaled any championship game I've ever seen. The Davidettes had defeated their Goliath. The Baptists had routed their Presbyterians. I maintain strict denominational neutrality being neither one. Those girls are my realistic heroes, beginning with despair and a tiny bit of hope after a long, long time, they emerged victorious. And those are the best games, right? The race he wasn't supposed to win, the underdogs who become the overdogs, the basketball game won in single digits in triple overtime. The girls could only see what was right in front of them, which was tall Presbyterians. But by the end of the game, their horizons were much bigger. Now, perhaps you've sensed that I'm making the inevitable turn into the biblical text. Because there are just perhaps a few parallels between fourth grade girls and the group Jesus calls his disciples. Especially
especially those gospel disciples, so different, I find, than the Acts disciples. You've probably heard those stories about the gospel disciples, a ragtag group of characters who spent way too much time clamoring for power, arguing over who was greater, falling asleep at all the wrong times, and scattering to the far corners the minute things got tough. And when we meet the disciples this morning, they are at one of their lowest points. Upon Jesus' arrest, Peter had denied Jesus. The others had scattered. Jesus had been crucified. And the latest news was that Jesus' body was missing. And as you heard read, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Now, while the text does not say it explicitly, most scholars believe the disciples were in the same room that they had shared the Last Supper in, a room described only as the upper room. But in this passage, one more detail is added. The doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And frankly, we get it, right? They were not the favorites of the Pharisees at the moment, and given what had just happened to their leader, I would have locked the door too. This was, after all, not how it was supposed to end. Jesus was supposed to overthrow the Romans, not be killed by them. It was, in the words of the great hit from 1987, the end of the world as they knew it but they were not feeling fine. The doors were locked. They were scared. We get it. We've all been there. We've all huddled in an upper room of fear and of doubt. When the world ends as we know it and a new chapter begins, we've all been through those life-ending moments when the blank that you had filled in does not get filled in the way that you had hoped. It is the end of the world as you know it. When you lose a loved one, it is the end of the world as you know it, and a new chapter begins. When a job is lost, a diagnosis received, when a child is welcomed, it is the end of the world as you know it, and a new chapter begins. We all go through these moments. And there is a new chapter, a next chapter to begin. Despite all the differences in this room, every one of us has been through life-stopping moments. Our hearts have been broken in multiple ways. We've all sat in an upper room, scared about what is coming next. Everyone has a story. That's why I believe kindness is so important. You never know the full extent of what, has gone, what the person next to you has gone through to get to this place. The world as we've known it has ended many times, and new chapters have begun. Now, as I mentioned, Kyle and I mapped out a new story for our family. Our world in Holland ended, and a new one began in South Carolina. And as painful as that transition was, for a while it seemed like it was pretty much writing itself. The kids were adjusting to new schools, sports, and neighborhood. 
Kyle and I were adjusting to new jobs that we found fulfilling and challenging. And then we received this news that our daughter Madeline needed a surgery that neither of us had ever even heard of. And it was the end of the world as we knew it. The chapter that is opened is one that is still being edited and revised and even written. And over the past six months, Madeline has endured two brain surgeries, not to mention x-rays and MRIs, swallow studies, PT, OT, countless headaches and bouts of nausea, dizziness, and stomach pain. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you to, to you as a congregation for reaching out to us in so many ways and most of all, for, for praying for Madeline and for all of us as we went through this ridiculously unexpected chapter in our family's life. In the days following her first surgery, our literal upper room was on the fifth floor of Greenville Memorial Hospital. And I felt like a disciple huddling away from the world for fear of what was next. And all I wanted to do was lock the door, but I could not find the key. You see, you can't lock hospital room doors. <laughs> it is an endlessly revolving door with saints bringing medicine, care, therapy dogs, and terrible, terrible food. Poor Madeline had to be on a diet for the first few days called minced and moist, and it was just as bad as it sounds. But the more the saints came in, the more I just wanted them to leave. And some of the only words she said in the first four days after the surgery, she looked at us and she said, Why doesn't God take the pain away? Lock the door and throw away the key. I am right there in the room with those disciples. I am scared and afraid and fearful and doubtful. I am all those things the disciples are. I stand right there with them, and perhaps you do too. That's why for so many reasons they are my realistic heroes. They fear, they doubt, they lock, they question. I am right there with them. But the beautiful thing is, so is Jesus. Jesus came and stood with them and said, peace be with you. Jesus didn't have much of a use for keys or locks or, you know, walls. Peace be with you. I remember grasping for something to tell her at that moment. And all I could think to say to her at the time was, Madeline, you are not alone. But Jesus is here with us in our tiny little upper room. Emmanuel, God with us. She was not alone. We are never, ever alone. The room was small, but God is big. The door was locked, but God was there anyway. Our hope is thin, but God is bigger. Our faith is weak, but God is not. Friends, where we see walls, God makes a window. He meets us wherever we are, in whatever locked room of fear and doubt we find ourselves in. He meets us at the end of our world, and he helps us to shape a new one. Jesus meets the disciples in that room. He offers them peace, and then he gives them a post. 
You see, our upper rooms are not meant for long-term stays. Verse 21, again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That was the gift they needed to move from gospel disciples to Acts disciples. And pretty soon, they were entering triple overtime. One book later, they are leaping tall synagogues in a single bound, preaching the gospel, singing in prisons, rejoicing in hardship. The end of their life with Jesus had ended, but a new book had begun. Our pastor in Greenville recently pointed out that in the book of Acts, the disciples are stoned and beaten and imprisoned and killed, and in every instance, they pray. In every instance, they pray, but not once do they pray to be delivered. Not once do they pray for the persecution to even stop. They pray for the strength to endure. They pray for their persecutors. All my prayers seem to be, Lord, make it easier. Lord, make this stop. Lord, make me more comfortable. The disciples simply simply prayed to be faithful. They continue to meet in upper rooms throughout the book of Acts, but there are no mention of locks anymore after John. They met to pray and to worship and plan, and then they went out into the world to tell people about Jesus, to tell them that their world as they knew it could indeed end, and an eternal one could begin. My husband, Kyle, recently returned from walking the Camino de Santiago. He began in Portugal and walked into Spain, walking this ancient pilgrimage with many routes that all culminate in the city of Santiago, the final resting place of James the Apostle. This time around, he added a few days to his journey to travel to to walk to a place called Finisterre on the far western coast. Finisterre means the end of the earth. And for centuries, pilgrims have made this their final stop, watching the sunset over the Atlantic, burning something they brought with him, and leaving an item of clothing on the shore, more often than not, their shoes. Their journey ends at the end of the world, and a new chapter begins. Friends, you may find yourself in an upper room this morning with the doors locked. Maybe you're running back and forth between several upper rooms. And maybe that's okay. After all, Jesus meets us there. But when you are ready, will you allow Christ to lead you out to show you a greater horizon than you had ever imagined? For some of you, it might be a Finisterre. For some of us, a glimpse at Finis, Michigan is enough. Wherever we are, wherever we go, Jesus meets us, promising as he did in Matthew, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
to the very end of the age, to the very end of the world as we know it, to the last second of triple overtime. All y'all, we are never alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you meet us in our upper rooms. Help us to step away from fear and into the horizon that you have for each of us, knowing that you are with us always. Amen. This afternoon, I'm packing my bags and heading to Camp Geneva out in Holland to be the speaker for a group of 200 grade school campers this week. I've been looking forward to this adventure for a long time, and I share this at our time of offering to remind us all that the offerings that we make to God take on so many different forms, our money, time, and talents, our gifts that are given to us with the sole purpose to be given away. God wants us to join him in his work, and it's through these offerings that we do. May we continue to see that we are blessed to be a blessing in all that we do.
Lord, we are thankful for this time that we can give and be a small part of all that you do. May our hearts be full of joy and love as we seek to follow you and your way in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. May we open our hearts to meet God in prayer. God of the ages who we cannot see or touch, we humbly ask today that in everything we do, we will have a deep awareness of your presence and of your love. And if we have locked ourselves in the upper room, Come to us, Lord. Breathe your peace, your presence into our lives. As this day unfolds, give us grace to see not only with these physical eyes, but help us to see the world that we cannot see or touch and to understand the, that the unseen is the truest reality. Thank you, Lord, that we have received new glimpses just this week of your glory, your beauty. A new wonder at the vastness and, and unspeakable greatness of your creation. And we are humbled. Let us stand this day. For all that is pure and true and just and good. Let us stand for the rights of the weak and the oppressed. For the comfort of the elderly, the sick and the dying. And for all who face difficult times. For all who have experienced loss and pain. Today, O oh Lord, may we humbly give ourselves to your way, so that we may put right before self-interest, others before self-will, the things of the spirit before the things of the body. May we reach for what is best, and may we discern the way of love. At Mayflower Congregational Church, we pray for those who are facing special needs. And we pray especially for the Olson family at the death of Jeff's father, Wally Olson, this week. That family means so much to this church. Hold them close in your great love and grace. For Jeff and Ruth, for Oscar, for Xenier, and for Kai Kiso, we ask, Lord, to pour out your blessing, your comfort, and the assurance that you are with them. For the needs represented here, we humbly reach out to you for grace and mercy. 
And we lift up now before you the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as we go forth this day, may Jesus Christ go with each and every one. Grace to you, mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.